DJ PK and Dan Devine joins us now, NBA writer for The Ringer. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today, guys? We're doing well. There are still jazz fans, nursing wounds, healing up. From your perspective, what went wrong? What needs to be fixed? Uh, I think you could start with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley getting hurt. <laughs> I mean, at the risk of, of being a very simple man. I am a simple man, though, so you got to go with what fits. Um, the Jazz were a team that was built all year long on their capacity to break down opponents off the dribble, get the, you know, get the machine sort of working, swing, swing, kick the ball around, and uh, create advantageous shot situations, whether it was three-pointers or driving closeouts to get good looks um, or breaking them down in the pick-and-roll to get Rudy Gobert uh, high handoffs at the rim. And then when you are without one of your top two ball handlers for the bulk of the postseason, and then when he comes back, he is... Uh, you know, not certainly not the all-star caliber player that we had seen from Mike Conley earlier in the season. And then when Donovan Mitchell picks up the knock that he picked up that, that was harming him in terms of his ability to push off and explode and, and you know, win one-on-one matchups, which is sort of the, the elemental building block of a lot of that offense, um, things start to stagnate and slow down. And then when, when that happens, when the Jazz are not outscoring everybody, but the, you know, one of the most high-octane offenses that the league has seen in recent years, you start to see the uh, the seams a bit in the defensive structure as on a team that has been tilted more towards offense the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, there's Rudy Gobert covers up a lot of sins. Everybody knows that. Uh, and the issue that you wind up with is there's not a whole, not quite as many one-on-one stoppers uh, to be able to go out and just lock somebody up. You know, Royce O'Neal has, has you know turned into a really nice player, a great player in Utah, but um, pretty much everybody else was either at a size disadvantage or a physicality disadvantage or a quickness disadvantage in their one-on-one matchups when Utah, Los Angeles went small. And so if the Clippers are dragging Rudy out of, the, out of the paint, you need everybody else to be able to win one-on-one defensively and stay in front of their man. And they couldn't do that. And so I don't know that you look at all of that and say this is indicative of you know, fatal flaws and, you know, uh, I know like a poisoned tree that needs to be uprooted or anything like that. I think it's just, you know, the, the theory of who the Jazz were has changed over the past couple of years. It went from we're going to win with defense to, okay, well, that imposes a ceiling on us when we get to the playoffs. We have to be able to generate better offensive possessions. So they did that. They went out and they changed the structure of the team, bringing in Conley, bringing in Bogdanovich, uh, putting so much more of a creative load on Donovan, uh, bringing in Jordan Clarkson, and then pick up a couple of injuries, the offense doesn't look quite the way it normally does, and then that sort of showcases what's up with the defense. So, I mean, the, 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 all of that is to say the, the, the short answer is you need two-way wings who can create, shoot, and also defend. And the bad news about that is every single team in the NBA is looking for the best versions of those guys, and they're pretty hard to find. One of the things that bothered me is that they got contributions from guys in the regular season that they didn't get to the level or certainly didn't get above the level of what they had done in the regular season. And you look at some of these teams, obviously the Clippers, uh, Phoenix with uh, campaign, uh, and Lou Williams comes off the bench when Trey Young can't play, 
and these guys produced beyond what we've expected. And when I look at the Jazz bench, nobody produced even what I thought they were capable of, let alone beyond as far as that goes. And so they're having this struggle as they got a bunch of younger guys on the bench. Uh, do you develop them? Uh, but I got to win now. It, it, it's a dilemma there. So you're in charge. Uh, do you try to develop these guys in the bench or do you just move away from them and try to bring in better players that even if they don't get to play for a few games when they're called upon, they can come in there and do well? I mean, I think it's got to be a little of column A and a little of column B, right? I mean, to, to some degree, it's because you are uh, – the, the, you know, the guys you mentioned who have – uh, outperformed perhaps their rep- uh, their reputation, or you know, uh, wound up producing uh, over and above what they and what you would have anticipated from them. You're talking about guys who can break people down off the dribble and create shots, and that's you know I think we see that uh, play up in the postseason just about every year, and. You know the Jazz have one of those guys, and he was so good during the regular season that he won Sixth Man of the Year. Um, but what makes Jordan Clarkson a sixth man as opposed to a superstar shooting guard is that he does that every other night as opposed to every night, right? And I think that's kind of the issue. Or, or, or you, you can't bank on him doing it for you know, 25 in an elimination game every night. You, sometimes it happens and he can carry your offense for a quarter. Sometimes it's, you know, three for nine or three for ten, and you're wondering when, you know, when the next shot's going to go down. Um, so to some degree, you know, you've you've made your your bed in terms of, of extending him. I think there was it was a move that they had to make, you know, to, to resign him. They, it was a, he's a vital part of the team, and he performed great. He's performed great uh, essentially since he got there. Uh, did not have the postseason he wanted, but I think that's true as you mentioned, sort of up and down the roster. I think the issue is, you know, you're you're already locked in with uh, the Gobert extension, with the Donovan extension, with. Uh, Clarkson now on the board, on the on the books, and then probably in all likelihood they're going to. You know, you're a capped out team. You're over the cap. You're going to have to go use the bird rights to try to bring back Mike Conley because you can't just get nothing. You let him walk for nothing. You don't have the cap space to replace what he brings, uh, and he's been great. So you're operating as an over the cap team without much flexibility to bring in a whole lot of talent. So I think you know you can look for. You know, guys that you might be able to, to target with your mid-level exception or, or something like that. Uh, you know, the sort of the smaller around the margins additions that you can sign in free agency. But you're going to have to see what you can, you know, develop with a guy like, you know, Mieoni or, you know, the, the other sort of recent draft picks. Like, is, you know, are you going to be able to hit a home run again with Jarrell Brantley or something like that? Juwan Morgan are these guys, you know, the kind of guys where, like, you can get some player, you know, the player development system that has churned out so many positive contributors in Utah. Can those guys kind of play up uh, with some more time, some more reps, and some more seasoning? And, uh, and then, you know, beyond that, it's, you know, you have to try to, like, work the margins because you've made your big bets. You've bet on Donovan. You've bet on Rudy. You've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining you're going to be betting on Conley. Uh, you know, you, you've bet on Clarkson. You've made those decisions. So now it's, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of money to play with. So it, it, it needs to be we do better with what we have. We, you know, chalk up some of this injury and some of it. We try to, you know, get in the lab and, dis- and dissect where we fell short in terms of defensive scheme or is there a way we can coach up some of the, some of the guys on that end. And then you, you, know, you put everything you can into getting those younger pieces on the fringes of the roster to be more playable when it matters most. 
So losing to a Clipper team that has got four guys who contributed at different times who are only getting paid $7 million. It is possible to get production out of not a lot of money. It's not easy. 100%. 100%. Nobody, nobody knew Terrence Mann's name last year. And now, you know, like that. So that's the, I mean, it's about, but it's about the right guys, right? It's about finding the right kind of players. Mann plays up because he is a, you know, big guard, small wing with length, athleticism, who can shoot and, and who is a north-south attacker who can defend multiple positions. Again, not easy to find guys who can check all those boxes, but... When it, you, they, they are out there. There are guys who can who fit those bills. It's about finding those kind of guys because and you want to find them now as opposed to having to pay the market rate for them. Because when if Terrence Mann keeps doing this, when he gets to free agency, he's going to be in line for a gigantic raise. You got to be on the early side of that for of that uh, growth curve rather than the later one. Well, they're early with him, but Batum, Jackson, and Cousins will all be free agents in the off season. They're not making any money either, and at different times, they've all given him something. Yeah, and, and I think so. some of that is, but I mean, those are also, with the exception of Batum, and Batum was a, somebody I wrote about early in the season, I thought he made a ton of sense. I think I had even talked, to, talked about him a little bit last year, where it's like, that's a guy who has been in sort of a depressed situation in Charlotte, um, where he's been injured a bit, and also just hasn't really played in games of consequence for a while, but he fits the bill of a guy who, when he gets an opportunity, can check off a lot of boxes and, and, and in a, a better context surrounded by better talent where he becomes like a floor raiser or an amplifier as opposed to needing to be a number one or number two guy. Uh, he's somebody that can, that can make an impact. But, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is coming off of, you know, a series of, of massive injuries that effectively, I mean, it seemed like it was going to end his career. Um, you know, the, uh, there are guys uh, sort of up and down these rosters where we're seeing tra- and also Cousins is, a, is still a li- like liability. You saw that the other night. I mean, yes, he, he put up 15 points and was a, was a massive contributor in that, in, in the offensive, uh, on the offensive end for them, but Phoenix went at him in pick and roll every time they got a chance to, and they were getting buckets almost every time they got a chance to. So it's about, it's not just can you find the talent, I and mean, that's, that's hugely important, but it's also can you put the talent in position to succeed, and also are, can you be, can you, are you willing to and are you able to live with sort of the, uh, the bruises in that apple? Can you, can you make it through the warts and live with those to be able to get, you know, uh, maximize what you can get out of them? And so the Clippers are able, or have, you know, have been able to do that because, you know, Paul George is standing on his head at this point because, you know, and, and earlier on, so they had Kawhi Leonard. You know, when you've, when you've got the sort of, num- you know, number one or number two, like the, 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 the big marquee players to contribute in that way, it gives sort of more space and more freedom for the other guys to, to sort of get in where they fit in and contribute in smaller roles or, again, you know, playing up against somebody's fourth or fifth best defender or only against second unit lineups, so on and so forth. So um, for the Jazz, what that means is, you need Donovan Mitchell to be great. You need Donovan Mitchell to be great every night. And he, I mean, that, I think that's one thing you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Donovan Mitchell was tremendous in this postseason. And, I mean, I'm somebody who has been uh, skeptical to, to some degree about whether or not a guy, you know, 6'1 or 6'2 can be your all-time creator, that can be the guy who is going to be going uh, head-to-head with these big wings who can sort of, you know, are somewhat more matchup dependent or matchup proof rather. Um, and Donovan Mitchell was, you know, on fire. He was incredible um, before he picked up that knock. And so I think you, you, you come out of it feeling better about his capacity to be the guy who carries the offense and makes things easier for everybody else. But uh, you still, you know, you're still going to need more of those players who can match up on the wing, and you're still going to need more players who can contribute on both ends to, to fit in around him and Rudy. 
What'd you make of the Dennis Lindsay situation? I'll be honest with you. I don't really, I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, you know, Dennis Lindsay's, it was the only 51, 52 years old. So it's not like this is him saying I'm walking off into the sunset necessarily. Um, you wouldn't be surprised to see him, especially with the track record that he built up in Utah uh, developing that core and you know building a perennial contender there, uh, the, you know the, the sort of from the, the midstream rebuild with after losing Gordon Hayward for nothing is is you know that's the kind of thing that mid market teams or smaller market teams just are, aren't supposed to be able to do. So um, I was a little surprised to see him go, but also I mean I think maybe the the, the underspoken part in some of these things is that. These are incredibly high-pressure jobs, and if you're doing them for a long time in one setting, maybe that just sort of grinds you down. Um, and so maybe there's part of it where it's just, you know, this is uh, an opportunity for a reset for him, or, and, or maybe the Jazz are looking at it and saying, we think, uh, it, to, to the point that we've sort of been discussing, the theory of our team changed, and we, had, we, we made a different sort of uh, stylistic calculation in terms of how we want to build out our roster and what kind of team we want to be. And then for that to hit into a ceiling or to feel like it hit into a ceiling also, maybe there was a calculation of we might need to have a different uh, approach to what the theory is going to be moving forward. And so well, you know, we'll see. Sometimes change can be good. It can uh, you know, elevate new voices. It can bring in new ideas. Uh, it can you know, wind up creating sort of a different way of looking at things. And sometimes you, know, you, you wind up uh, you know, you know, looking back for, and you know, wishing for a little bit more of what you have. But I, I think the, 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 re, the remaining brain trust I think you still feel very confident in the work that those, you know, those, uh, those guys have done. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see where, you know, if Lindsay's name starts coming up as, as job openings, you know, around the league uh, pick up, you know, this, you know not, maybe not this summer, I'm not sure how many front office changes you're going to see, but, you know, moving on down the line. There are plenty of Jazz fans who believe they just missed the best chance ever to win a championship. Uh, a lot of that's based on all the injuries around the league. But how good do you see the Jazz being going forward? How good can they be next year? I mean, I don't see any reason to think that they can't continue to be in that uh, upper echelon of the West. I think the, the 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 sort of the general underpinnings of what they are, at least as a regular, you know, again, as a regular season team. You know, the, the ability to have a consistently good defense, you know, as long as you've got Rudy Gobert in the middle and, and healthy and available, you're going to have a top-tier defense. Um, I think, you again, you come out of this postseason feeling really good about what an offense led by Donovan Mitchell can be, especially as he continues to expand his range, expand you know, the volume and the ability that he has to pull off the dribble, uh, and all that can open up for him and for, for his teammates. Uh, you bring back, I'm assuming you bring back Conley, and you know there's the there's a you have the core of a you know top five ish team on both ends of the court coming back. So I think if that's true, and you are you know uh, we'd have no idea what injuries are going to look like. Uh, I mean, we're also going to be coming off another shortened off season uh, for a lot of teams too. So you know, with the last year we saw that uh, wreaked havoc on the teams that made it deep into the bubble. Who knows if it's going to be a similar story for the teams that made it deep into the, into the, the, the playoffs this year as well. But uh, I think you, as, as long as you have those sort of baseline fundamentals, you feel pretty good about what they can be as a regular season team. And if that's true, and you're talking about a team that's going to you know, be in the mix for home court advantage in the playoffs, like, that's a, a starting point that I think more, you know, at least more than half the league would feel pretty good about. Um, but I think that there, I mean, there are big questions. There's big questions about uh, you know, what they look like if they have to walk into a series against 
teams that have two, another, you know, more series against teams that have like two or three of those kind of top end guys, especially the ones that are big wing creators or that are two way, more more complete two way answers than uh, Donovan or Rudy can be, because given the nature of their games, so. Um, it's not a satisfying answer, but I, I mean, I think what, where we come out, I don't know that I come out of it a whole lot different than I went into it with the Jazz, where I was like, that's clearly an excellent team that, has a, that can beat you in a couple of different ways. But there are, it, it's, it's not laden with two-way guys who can sort of solve any problem on the fly. You need to find more of those guys in whatever capacities you can find them, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through the sort of bargain basement signings, whether it's getting lucky with development, that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, I think the, 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 they're going to be – as long as you've got Donovan and Rudy, I think you're in the mix. I think you're in the mix for a uh, uh, home court seed. Um, and then it's about where the bounces and the breaks go from there. Some talk around the Blazers and Damian Lillard. you think there's a possibility some action could happen there? I mean, I would. I honestly would. I would be surprised if he. If this is him, he's gone this summer. This feels more like, and this is you know based on. This is pure speculation, but it feels to me more like. Okay, I'm now not very happy with the way things are, are have been running. I, I, I've been, I've given nothing but my commitment to this organization. I've played at an MVP level year after year. Uh, you know, been sort of the, the clutch answer that allows us to outperform our underlying metrics and all that stuff and keeps us in the mix. And I don't know that I feel like we are making the best choices as an organization in terms of how to surround me with a bit with talent and, uh, you know, put us in the best position to succeed. So I'm going to start shaking the table a little bit. But that's, that, I, that to me reads in terms of like the steps that this goes in, like, make things better for me here rather than get me out of here to something better. That's, I mean, just my read on it from 3,000 miles away. I, have no, I don't know, but I will say that the more, the messier it gets in Portland, first with Neil Shea uh, firing Terry Stotts and then going out and giving a press conference where he was saying, like, the roster is not the problem, essentially absolving himself of any blame in the situation and saying, I put together a championship caliber roster. It's on somebody. We've got to find somebody else that can make it so. And then following that up with a coaching search that turned pretty toxic pretty fast, uh, where Blazers fans had a real, uh, you know, many Blazers fans had a real reaction, a real negative reaction to the idea of hiring Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups uh, as the head coach for, you know, their, their legal issues with respect to domestic violence or rape cases in the past. That became something that was a huge deal and obviously uh, was not responded to very well by Portland in their introductory press conference yesterday where they were not going to give any more information about why, what made, made them comfortable about Chauncey Billups being there, not even answering follow-up questions from reporters about uh, what Chauncey Billups learned from that experience, all those sorts of things. It feels like the, the, the way things are working in Portland is, is trending downward and maybe is not a working environment that if I was a superstar player, I might want to continue to stick around in. So if that keeps getting messier and worse, things could pick up with Dame. But I think my guess for right now is that it's make things better here, and then if that does not happen over the course of this, you know, this next season, uh, then, it's, you know, then it maybe becomes, I want something better somewhere else. He signed for four more years, so I could see where for two years he doesn't have that much leverage to force into trade. But boy, in two years, the pendulum is swinging big time. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, and uh, the the thing that happens now, we're seeing it more and like, earlier and earlier with stars, right? You know, it's four years. Four years is, is an awfully big pill to swallow, but you know, we've seen stars force their way out with two years left. Um, you know, could it? And once that's happening, you know, is it insane to think that it could be three years? It, it, it's it's um, generally speaking, the rule has been. If a star on this level, not just like a guy who's a nice player, but a guy who is an all-NBA first and second team kind of rainmaker, an MVP candidate kind of player, if that guy wants something to happen, it's probably going to happen. So the question then becomes, at what point does Damian Lillard say, I want something to happen, or I want this particular thing to happen? And I think that the reporting to this point leaves us short of that. But I think it also leads us a lot closer to that than we've been at any point during his tenure as a Blazer. And I think that has to be uh, you know, fans in Portland and uh, the remaining power brokers in the Blazers organization feel, feel a little bit skittish. Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks, Dan. My pleasure, guys. Take care. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. <laughs>